Hello, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today on the show, we welcome Dave Way, Portfolio Manager of Fidelity Long Short Alternative Fund. The fund was launched in October 2020 and seeks to capture alternative sources of alpha and expand the portfolio beyond traditional mutual fund solutions. Dave and host Pamela Ritchie discuss current market trends, and Dave explains how liquid alternatives may fit into a client's portfolio. He talks about the fund's structure, how it's designed as 130% long and 30% short. Dave is very much focused on North America. For example, on the short side of his fund, the focus is tilted more towards the U.S., with an average holding period of 6 to 12 months. Dave also touches upon his investing approach, which is a flexible one. With over 15 years of industry experience, he says he's comfortable in both value and growth situations. He notes his goal is to deliver good client value and experience despite market conditions. This podcast was recorded on February 14th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Great to see you, David. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Great to see you, Pamela. Tell us, this is a, a very interesting market. I feel like we could just stand back and say your, your, your case is stated, looking at the markets this morning, uh, reacting to this data point. Uh, tell us a bit about this fund, what, it's, what it does. The fund is really designed to achieve two things. The first is, over time, benefit from all the good things that will ultimately go on in the world. GDP growth, companies innovating, allocating capital really well, the kinds of things that we get excited about uh, growing our uh, base of capital over time. Um, So I'm generally an optimist, and I'm excited about those things um, occurring in the long term. Um, But I'm also worried about what can get in our way. And the second really important thing that the Fidelity Long Short Alternative Fund is designed to achieve is to capture those returns while at the same time managing the volatility of the fund. So being excited about the future, but looking at uh, the ground in front of us to see what can trip us um, and using the toolkit that's available to me as being both a long and a short investor um, to generate returns through a variety of um, markets and market conditions. How do you find, I'll ask you about the long um, ideas and positions as well, but how do you find your short positions? Where do you begin? That's a great question. And uh, the fund structure is really designed as it's sort of a 130% long and 30% short. So that's sort of the base positioning of the fund, and it can change a lot. But the general idea is that for $100 of client funds uh, invested in the, in the fund, uh, what I'll do is I'll go out and I'll short $30 of stock, which gives me the initial $100 plus $30 in proceeds from shorting, and it allows me to go out and buy $130 of Fidelity's best ideas. And it doesn't always uh, mean that I'm fully exposed to the market, but just to kind of level set, 
that's where the short portfolio fits into the overall product. And on the short side, you know, I'm really looking for a variety of different companies. The ultimate goal is to find companies that uh, I think will face some kind of pressure for a variety of reasons. It could be uh, financial reasons. It could be competitive. Um, it could have to do with the company's accounting or business practices that concern me, um, where I think the market will take a more negative view than it currently does on that stock in the future. And um, you know that really pops up in a lot of different areas in today's market. It could be a company that did really well during COVID and where I don't think there's going to be a lot of demand on the other side. It could be a company that, you know, I've been, you know, short for a while because I think their accounting is misrepresenting the business um, or where a competitor is gaining market share at their expense. And I think expect those trends to continue. So we're in a really exciting part of the market right now. Um, it's a period where, you know, I think there's a lot of kind of price discovery going on where there's less certainty about what the near term looks like. And it's a really great time for both on the short side and on the long side, which we could talk more about, um, to really focus on how the business is going to evolve on a one to two year basis. Because I think right now it really makes sense um, as an active manager to try to take advantage of the fact that there's a lot of uncertainty. And if you can develop a, an investment opinion around a company that doesn't rely on interest rates or the direction of inflation and gain some confidence that there's you know, really good risk reward in that opportunity to try to build a portfolio of stocks rather than you know, trying to be driven by what's happening in the macro. Okay. But I'm going to ask you about macro because it does seem after some of the, the earnings have come out, there are quite a variety. You use that word. It's, it's great. There's a variety of views on the macro, which you could probably just say equals uncertainty. But, but actually, CEOs seem to see the world a bit differently depending on who you speak to, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and companies are taking a very different approach to how they address their near-term business prospects and these nuances aren't always appreciated by investors. Like, you know, one example I could give you around that is if you take the automotive industry. So you got all these companies supplying little widgets, parts, wheels, steering wheels, seats um, into the same set of customers that, you know, are all the auto brands that we know and appreciate. And there's industry experts who come up with their production forecast for the year and say, we're going to make, you know, making the number up, we're going to make 17 million cars this year. And historically, all of those companies would use that 17 million car figure to come up with their forecasts. And this year, um, people are take, using different numbers because they might have a more positive or more negative view on the economy. And they're trying to build some cushion um, in setting expectations for investors that if we don't make 17 million cars, if we make, you know, 16.6 million cars, that it's not the company that's missed um, in terms of their operating performance and revenue generation. And this is not always clear to investors. And you're seeing the markets respond differently to different companies uh, without appreciating that they've used just a different kind of market expectation. So as an active investor, that makes me really excited because you know we think we understand sectors like this and we have our own production view and we can apply that to companies and often find you know, really attractive uh, risk reward in companies where perhaps the market is taking too negative a view. So when you look at some reactions to a data point, like today's CPI number that, that comes through, um, how can you sort of take advantage of, I mean, it really looks like the market doesn't actually know how to respond. 
there's uncertainty. It's, um, you know, I, I think through this like kind of pr the, the price discovery era that we, I think, entered into, call it late September, early October of last year, um, continues. We had 2022, which was really dominated by the macro, what was happening with interest rates and inflation, you know, it really paid to have, you know, a strong top-down view that was reflected in your portfolio construction. And so the opportunity today is to look more on a bottom-up basis, to be macro aware, and to have kind of a base idea of what you think is going to happen. And so, you know, my personal opinion, you know, could be that, say, hey, we're going to be higher for longer. You know, there could be a pause in rate hikes, but we're likely to see, you know, either a longer pause in the markets pricing in or perhaps, you know, higher rates still. Um, and you use that as a base sort of operating position to then go look into, you know, individual industries, individual companies to find out where using our analysis and our analysts, you know, digging into hundreds of companies every day, you know, those companies where, hey, like the market's got this wrong, you know, even if rates go up, it's not going to be as bad as people think. And there could be room for kind of positive surprises, you know, if things are a little bit better than that base plan, or if, you know, simply just, you know, kind of the base case plays out and the company puts up better numbers than, you know, what's in consensus expectations at this point. You you mentioned, uh, you know, autos sort of a, by way of an example, but I'm just wondering, do, do you need to, or is it within the way you look at things, you have to be diversified across sectors or is that not necessarily the way you manage the account? Yeah, I have, um, I have, I would say a wide degree of flexibility in ter terms of sector allocations and Generally, over time, the fund has been, you know, somewhat diversified across industries. I don't manage individual sector weights. Um, I may be, you know, to be macro aware, you sometimes have to think about, you know, what is my exposure to, say, real estate and utilities and telcos together because they tend to be, you know, rate sensitive industries. And from a long short perspective, that's actually kind of an exciting place to be because you may find that you know, within those, say, rate-affected sectors, um, the forecasts and valuations for companies that should be negatively exposed to higher rates, um, you, you know, the market might be getting a very different picture priced into those different subsectors. So you can actually build a long, short portfolio that it's not really a pair trade. You're not like going long one utility and short another utility, but you're looking for better risk reward across these subsectors. And you can actually try to generate returns and alpha without leaning on a factor like rates going up or rates going down. Do you use pair trades though? Uh, periodically. I think of it as like a, a specialized tool for very unique circumstances. Um, and where I'm likely to use a pair trade is if we're in a period or in a, in a it could be with a company or a subsector where there's a very high degree of uncertainty and there's a very wide range of outcomes and I'm not able to analyze a specific risk factor away. So, you know, during COVID, you know, perhaps I was optimistic about the future prospects for shopping malls, but I didn't have a sense of where the direction of COVID would take and when we would see a vaccine and when cities would be able to reopen. So in the early days of 
that trade, I might be long a shopping mall that I think has great management, a really strong balance sheet, you know, ability to see through a weak period of operating results and be stronger on the other side. And I could be short another shopping mall company that perhaps has weaker prospects, weaker balance sheet, may not emerge on the other side um, as strong as it is today. And so it allows you as a long short manager to go into trades that have very attractive risk reward while managing the near-term risk of the fund. And I think that's kind of the overarching theme of uh, what I try to achieve as a portfolio manager, which is you know reach into pockets of opportunity while being able to manage risk on the other side so that I'm able to enter into an investment um, using a wider range of tools and a wider opportunity set um, to be able to buy a company I could be very excited about where a long-only manager couldn't because they couldn't manage that individual risk. Interesting. It's um, so the average time you hold uh, short positions. Yeah, it's a great question, and one of the things, like just kind of stepping back to answer the question, um, typically the long portfolio will have fifty to sixty stocks in the portfolio. Um, you know, based on my investment process, I'm kind of targeting a normalized sort of turnover ratio of call it fifty percent. So the average holding period for those stocks might be two plus years, and on the short side. Uh, it's a lot shorter. Um, it could be six to 12 months um, is what I'm looking for. And in general, I don't short uh, a high number of companies where I see like where it's event driven. I think like the next quarter is going to be really bad. It's more generally a negative fundamental outlook with a 12 month kind of thesis. Because when you're short a stock, the two things you have to manage is that you know every day there's a CEO on the other side who's paid to drum up interest in their stock. Um, they might pay a dividend, which has sort of a negative cost to shorting because you have to pay for the dividend. And sometimes you have to pay uh, to borrow the stock to sell it. So there's some additional daily costs related to shorting that you need to manage. So you really need to bring in your time horizon. And so on the short side, I'm really targeting you know, probably 100% plus type turnover. That's a fascinating. Um, tell us a little bit about the universe itself. So where, where are you investing? So from a universe perspective, I'm generally focused on uh, North America. Um, I'm able to invest globally. Like We have a, a giant army of global analysts who are always searching out the very best ideas available you know, globally. And so periodically, there's a few companies generally operating in regions that I'm comfortable with and know, um, and in sectors that I'm familiar with and know really well, uh, where I see really high odds of success in that individual investment thesis. So I kind of have 10% of the fund or so that I can play with in those specific names, where I think they could be really additive to the fund's performance, and where I think we've done really good analysis on why we think um, that company could do really well, that'll build into the portfolio. Um, and on the short side, you know, the universe you know, it does tend to be focused a little bit more on North America and be a little bit more tilted towards the U.S. The market is much deeper in liquidity. And one of the things that I'm always thinking about on the short side is, you know, I want to make sure that I can manage those positions quickly. And those ideas, even though they might be focused on the U.S., you know, we have this great team of 
analysts who both focus on the US market and also a dedicated short selling research team that focus explicitly on identifying short ideas. And you know, as, as recently as this morning, you know, I dumped into, we, we've got this group chat where we're always discussing ideas um, and you know, getting back to the point about turnover, you know, it's really important that you're always refreshing um, the portfolio, you're refreshing the pipeline of ideas and that you've got sort of the team horsepower to be able to do that. So I dumped in um, eight or 10 stocks that I've been watching for a while and are now kind of entering into you know, my price range where I think we could have an attractive short. And with the goal of having those individual analysts you know, run with two or three of those names and, and test my thesis to see if they could work. So the process for refreshing longs and shorts are the same. You're always taking your existing portfolio, comparing it against your next best ideas that you don't own, and leveraging the big team that we have who have specialized skills in both long investing and short uh, investing so that we can always have kind of a portfolio of our best ideas, you know, put together in a portfolio construction that, you know, hopefully best expresses, you know, my view of the world and also making sure that, you know, my risk management overlays are put onto the fund to you know, keep ex- ourselves exposed to great things that could happen in the long term and also protecting capital if things are um, you know, challenging in the short run. I mean, so speaking to sort of exactly what you're saying, being able to move quickly when needed, um, were you running this in the pandemic, speaking of times when people needed to be able to pivot quickly? Yeah, I, I've really been working on this strategy for almost almost five years, and uh, the fund was launched to the public in October of 2020. But prior to that, um, in 2019, we launched um, an internal fund um, to test this strategy. So um, I think my hairline kind of probably went from here to here in early 2020. Uh, but the fund has been, you know, I would say like really field tested through you know pretty much every kind of market regime that you can throw at it. Okay, style agnostic. So the question is, what is your long strategy? Is it growth versus value? Is there is there something to speak to there? Yeah. So the the way that I think about investing is, uh, as someone who's been at Fidelity for fifteen years, I really developed my investing style um, from learning from you know all the great portfolio managers who you see on these uh, on the Connects podcasts and who you know really well um, from their long term track record. So. As an analyst, the key thing that I learned is, you know, I've got this like wall of hats, um, and I can put on, you know, a value hat, a growth hat, like a Dan and Mark hat. But I, it's how I think. I'm like, you know, if there's a value stock or something that requires a contrarian view, you know, as an analyst, I learned to put on like the Hugo hat, and now I have the benefit of having, you know, Hugo as a close peer and mentor where I can talk to him and I'm like, hey, Hugo, this feels like a contrarian scenario. You know, here's how I'm thinking about it. Um, how would you think about it? And you know, we can work together to decide whether we should invest in the stock or not. And you know, a lot of times people need a lens to kind of filter like the universe of stocks from here down to a portfolio you know, of 50 stocks. So you're going from you know, 5,000 stocks to 50. And for a lot of people, a style is a great way to filter the universe. You know what you, you're looking for. You can use your pattern recognition to identify stocks where you're more likely to win than lose. And I'm just a bit different. Um, you know, I have a very flexible approach. I'm very comfortable in value situations, very comfortable um, in growth situations. And I think the flexible approach means that I can kind of you know, tilt 
um, my approach to wherever the market's giving opportunity and wherever, say, an investment theme you know, might emerge where I can break it down into individual sectors, um, individual companies that might gain from different types of opportunities, and then kind of put on those different hats and analyze those companies as I need to to, to decide you know, whether they fit into the portfolio. Does it feel more growth or value, though? You know, the, I'd say the, um, you know, the overall fund had been sort of more of like a, um, you know, sort of quality and, and growth and perhaps a bit of defensive characteristics through 2022. And the reason is that's what the market, you know, was rewarding. Like we can see sectors like healthcare did really well in 2022 when there's all these kinds of macro headwinds. You know, there are certain safe haven sectors that offer up companies trading at reasonable valuations. They're largely immune or resilient to inflationary pressures. And that's kind of where you wanted the fund to be in 2022 as we were really absorbing quite a big change in the macro environment. And as we head into 2023, um, there's a couple of pockets of opportunity that I have seen opening. And some of that would fit into the value camp. Companies trading at really attractive valuations where the market's clearly um, taken the position that they can't grow earnings over the next four to eight quarters when we think there's reason to believe that you know, either end markets are improving or supply chain pressures are easing and that that is going to be uh, levers for the companies to put up better growth than the market's anticipating. So those would be, you know, probably classically value situations. And also on the growth sector, like, you know, a lot of software stocks are down 70 to 90 percent. And we're starting to see the sorting mechanism of which companies have the ability to do self-help. Like, do they have a good product? And, you know, maybe they can throw fewer ping pong tournaments and, you know, retreats for their customers and save on, you know, kind of their operating expenses and generate real profitability. Like, even if growth slows a little because the market now cares, like, does this business make money? Um, and some of those companies are going to do it. And some of those companies could be the next big companies of you know the 2030s and so we want to make sure that we're doing the work now to understand which companies have differentiated products the ability to generate profits and self-fund their way to you know hopefully this you know bright and beautiful future sounds like you need from what i understand you need a pickleball company these days it's it's, uh, (laughs) definitely noise canceling pickleball i guess yeah (laughs) that's for everyone needs a pickleball Uh, of course um is this strategy closer to something that you would call a core strategy or, or, or not? Like who do you need to be to be investing in alts, essentially? Um, do you yeah, have to be accredited? It, how, how does this work? It's a great question. And I, I encourage everyone to you know, talk to their you know, advisor about what, where this could fit in the portfolio and you know, what the requirements are to invest in the fund. But I think the way that I think about this fund, and this isn't for everyone, is you know, I have 100% of my assets invested in this fund. I've got an 11-year-old son with autism, and what I am trying to achieve with the fund is to try to grow capital over the next, you know, 10 to 15 years, um, so that as he becomes an adult, there's a, you know, a base of capital to meet his long-term needs, uh, which I expect to be significant. So that's kind of my premise of, you know, why I'm 100% invested in the fund and how I seek to manage the fund. But I think what that, how that might translate for others, is that I do think this could be a core. You know, equity position in a wide range of portfolios. Like the fund's track record in terms of generating performance that is attractive relative to kind of the relative benchmarks 
and you know, other investment alternatives, um, as well as managing volatility so that you know, the client experience is very strong along the way. You're not, you don't have to, you haven't had to guess sort of periods of time where the fund's capable uh, of generating alpha or not. And you know, certainly while I can't make any you know, promises or claims about future performance, you know, I'm trying to have a flexible approach, take the opportunities that the market provides and try to deliver you know, good client value and experience, you know, whatever mark, the market kind of throws at us. So you know, I think this, is, um, this particular product is definitely would fit into the equity bucket of an allocation and I definitely think you know it could be under consideration for a core position. What's your favorite thing to research right now that's not that's not a company that you're going to invest in? Like what what sort of takes you down a rabbit hole on the internet? What what do you like looking at data on interesting things? Yeah, it's I mean it's it's a good question, and I think one of the things that has really been on my mind for you know since coming out of COVID is just like you know how is the world uh, different. Uh, over the next three to five years versus before COVID. Um, and, you know, I think that there's a lot of places where we've kind of gone back to normal, where the pre-COVID trends are what has continued. Um, you know, I think there are some societal challenges around, you know, the mental health crisis. We could see it like, you know, take Toronto and the transit system. And really, this is something that echoes in every large city of dealing with kind of the post-COVID a mental health crisis, which I think is a real thing and a societal issue. But I think the biggest market issue is, you know, s- sizing up what's the same and what's different. And I think, you know, issues like, um, you know, having a sense of community. So I have a 14-year-old daughter. Um, as much as the world's changing, uh, one of her favorite activities is to go to the mall with her friends. Um, she's going there today. It's a really big um, part of her life to kind of connect with people touch and feel things. And, you know, we hear a lot to the contrary. And I think there's a lot of things around this idea of community and sense of uh, belonging. And there are companies that are, you know, I think in a position to capitalize on that over time. And what I really want to make sure from an investment perspective is that, you know, we're sorting out like, what's the pre-COVID trend? What was the, what happened during COVID? Like, did people stay at home and just buy a ton of this company's like coolers, fishing gear, whatever, um, and what's going to get back to normal? And, you know, I think that's one of the areas I'm looking at. So, you know, one, one interesting fact is that, you know, obviously interest in golf went up uh, quite a lot during COVID and we're starting to see emerging trends of rounds played in the U.S. is starting to come down. So, you know, that's kind of an interesting idea. So, you know, we could... Re- if you play fewer rounds, you're probably worse at golf. You lose more golf balls, um, but you're playing less. So, you know, what does that mean for companies making stuff? And is it an opportunity for us to be long something or short something? You know, this is kind of how you take what's interesting into what makes you money. That's how you take what's interesting and turn it into something that makes money. David Way, a pleasure to see you always. Thank you for joining us on Fidelity Connects. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. 
while visiting Fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.